This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, if you are there at home, if you'll take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the text we're going to look at this morning. And uh, we're going to read verses 18 through 25 to start us out. To get the context for our passage this morning. So if you've turned to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which, being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, again, that's Joseph, called his name Jesus. I want to read that verse again, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's going to be the verse we're going to look at. We've looked at the context, but we're going to concentrate the remainder of this time on that verse, verse 21, and those particular statements made there. I really enjoyed Pastor's message this morning when he talked about the vision. The sights and sounds of the season are all around us. In fact, I think for me, and I'll speak specifically for me, that as I look at the sights and sounds of the season, very quickly at this time of year, there's a cacophony of sound. There is so much to see that it's easy to get drowned out that true message Or maybe it's even good sounds. You hear things, you read Christmas cards, you see a lot of things, uh, and you see the name Jesus, you see joy to the world, you see all these good messages, but there's just so much it inundates us that quickly they lose maybe their meaning. And we're going to look at that name Jesus this morning. The name Jesus, something so common. That we use. In fact, I know there's people around this world who may never have heard the name Jesus, but I would venture to say that if you walked around the Hampton Roads area or in our circles, if you said the name Jesus, there'd at least be a remote understanding of who that was. The name Jesus. But what's in a name? I did a little bit of research. There's some interesting names in history. How about this one? Charles the Simple. He was the son of Louis the Stammerer. A lot is foretold about those two gentlemen based upon their names. He was called Charles the Simple because he was so called he would make concessions to the Norse, invaders rather than fighting them. He was French. Well, That fits. How about Louis the Sluggard, a self-indulgent French king who ruled from 986 to 987. He only made it a year. He was lazy. Louis the Fat. That's self-explanatory, I think. We just had the experience this past year of figuring out how to name our son. You say figure it out? Yes, it was a process. You see, in our family, the boys are T's and the girls are K's. 
and we were, we were good. We had gone through our repertoire of names. We were good. In fact, we were so confident that we, uh, were, our family was complete that we decided that we would get a dog. And we had one T name left, and the dog was male. So Tucker came into the family. And wouldn't you know, three months later, we're expecting and we have to come up with another T name because that's what we do. Because I have, I'm Tavis, I have a son, Tavis, and then we have Tanner, and then Elvis would just be off, it would just be different. You know, we got to stay with the T's. And so we really just started thinking about what T names, and I really, I was convinced we could take the name back from the dog and name our son Tucker. And Kendall tells me, no, we can't do that because uh, the kids would always know that uh, the brothers and sisters would remind him that he has the dog's name. Well, we had to go back to T names. And the Bible wasn't much help for us in the Old Testament, unless you want to name your son Tubalcane uh, or perhaps Tobiah. Uh, we did go to the New Testament, and there were two options, really. I guess there were three. Kendall wasn't big on Thaddeus. Uh, another T name, you know, we could just not do the Bible. We could just, you know, the popular thing today is just name them anything. We could have had, you know, table or triceratops or, or, uh, or maybe the, we could name him the. But we looked at this and we thought, we got two options here. You can have Timothy or Titus. Now, I knew both guys from college, Timothy and a Titus, and I didn't like either one of them. Now, that's a challenge. That's why you'll never see kids named Tavis. They, people knew me in college. <laughs> and uh, and so, so we're looking at it, pretty, and Kendall was convinced that Titus was going, should be the name. And it took me a while to come around, but now, you know, Titus. And even now, as I read the book of Titus, it's a strong name. I mean, it's not just one of the books of the Bible named for one of, uh, one of the pastors that Paul mentored. But also, Titus was a general uh, in the Roman army. He became an emperor of Rome. Of course, he's the one who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. But uh, Titus was a, I mean, that's a, I mean, the name Titus, it's a strong name. So, because names, they mean something. I've I, I read the story a while ago about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great had a custom that when he would come back from battle, he would take all of those that he had, uh, that uh, they would conquer, and they would line them all up, and then he would line up his army, and they would then give the choice to those conquered people to either join the Greek army, army or be executed. It was a fairly wise choice most made. They would join the army and he would then line them up and he would take everybody who had deserted or had ran during the battle and he would then make them walk through these columns of soldiers and as they walked through the soldiers would turn their backs on them. On one particular occasion, there was a, a time after a battle in, in, the, in the Greek Peloponnesus where he had conquered this, this, these people and he was marching these, uh, through, taking the, those who had, uh, uh, had, had deserted, he was marching them through. And, and you could kind of, they say, hear the whispers amongst the soldiers as they began to turn their back, but they were turning their back on a boy of 12 or 13 years old. And this boy was marching along, and, and he had deserted, and people thought, well, there's no wonder, this is just a kid. And they wondered, what was Alexander the Great? What was he going to do? What was he going to say? How was he going to handle this situation? And as the boy gets to the stand before Alexander, as he sits there on his throne, Alexander looks at him, and he says to the boy, he asks him one question, he says, what is your name? The boy sees his opportunity. He sees his chance. And he, he pulls himself up. He looks Alexander in the eye and he says, My name is Alexander. Alexander the Great looks down at him and he says, Son, then I suggest that you either change your name or change your actions. Because your name does reflect who you are. 
It reflects a lot about you. Now, we've gotten away from where our names mean a lot of things other than they just have meaning. In fact, I was talking with my kids this morning, and we were going through their names. Like, well, what does my name mean? Well, your name means special. Uh, and uh, and they, what does my main name mean? And Tavis, my son, you know, well, that name means awesome. So, uh, you know, we just, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we just we went through the meanings of our names. And we don't really have names, but names used to actually just really grip what that person, who that person was. In fact, we'll see it through the Bible. There's names you probably come across all the time. You know, there's the blind man who Jesus healed. His name was Bartimaeus. And we say, oh, his name was Bartimaeus. All we really know was that he was the son of Timothy, the son of Timaeus. In fact, the Bible is very vague. We don't even know if that was his real name. I mean, do you go around? My boys don't go around the son of Tavis, the son of... No, they have their own name. But we see that at Bartimaeus. The name Nicodemus. It means Nico, ruler, Demas, people. That just... It was probably a name he adopted a ruler of the people, and we see that that's what he did in the Sanhedrin. Names, they're all throughout the Bible. But this morning, I want to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and we are going to look at these phrases, and look at that one that says, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Before we go any farther, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Father, I pray that I would be able to communicate truth in a way that's understandable. Father, I pray that I would communicate truth. Father, I pray that your will would be done in what we say here, that we would focus on you in this beautiful name, Jesus. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is in this verse we see instruction given to Joseph. The name that he was supposed to name the child, Jesus. Now, Mary, she had already been told in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the Gabriel, he came to her and he says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. She had already been given this. Now, she may not have, most likely she did not tell Joseph this. Because if you know anything about a Jewish betrothal in Jewish custom, there was no contact between her and her, and her husband-to-be. So she had probably not told Joseph this. In fact, when Joseph had found out she was expecting, it was probably now through rumor. How would you like to get that word? And so she may not have told Joseph this, but though this name is full of meaning... It wasn't particularly sacred at the time. There were many who were roaming around Palestine with the name Jesus. Of course, it would not be that Greek name Jesus, and we're going to look at this. But what is it about the name Jesus that is so different? What warrants our attention to this name? Well, it may be obvious from the point in Matthew that everything that Matthew is going to write about is going to revolve around this person, this name, Jesus. More specifically, it revolves around what Jesus did on the cross, which is the focal point of, history, or of Scripture, the centerpiece of history. But Matthew is telling us specifically in the first chapter of, this, of, this, of, his, of his gospel that this name, Jesus, is going to be very important. But this name, as we know it, contains so much hope, so much promise, so much power that Paul, he said it like this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Jesus, this is the Greek form, so, uh, so we're specifically talking about the Messiah here. It occurs 923 times in the Bible. And I'm going to explain here in a minute why that's important, that this Jesus is the name given to the incarnate Son of God. It is a name, 
expressing so briefly in just those five letters his whole saving office and work. I want this morning to you, for you to look at the name Jesus perhaps a little differently or maybe just be reminded of what that name means. And we're going to get into it. It's not an abstract idea. It's not just a concept of salvation. We're going to take time to look at this name Jesus and we are going to see that his name says it all. It's actually in the name. So let's take a look at this name. And see what it tells us about this man who was both the son of God and the son of man. We have to look at the content of verse 21. And as we look at the content of this verse, we're going to see two very important parts. The first is the actual name. And we'll see as we dissect it, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the name of Jesus this morning. And we're going to break it down. You say, can you do that? It's, not, it's just a name, right? No. We're going to pull it apart. And we're going to look at what makes, it up, makes up that name. And, uh, and we're going to see that it is made of two parts. So in the content of this verse, we see the actual name, the proper name that's provided. But then the second thing we're going to look at in this verse is the purpose given for that specific proper name. Matthew provides us, if you will, a concise mission statement of what Jesus came to do. And you'll see that it's going to be repeated twice. You're going to see it in the name, and then Matthew's going to give us a repetition of it. He is going to take us and repeat things. And so I'm hoping that we will, con- we will look at this name and, uh, and we may go from something that we have know to something unknown. When I was in college, that was one of the things that uh, a teacher said, uh, in one of my teaching classes, that they said a teacher should always do. Take you from the known to the unknown. And so I hope today maybe I'll share some things that you may not have realized or know. But we're going to look at it. And the first thing we're going to look at is the purpose of Jesus coming. The first thing we're going to look at this mission statement And then we'll consider the actual name. We're going to look at the mission statement, why Jesus came, the purpose of his coming. And we see that in verse 21, he, for he shall save. Look at that phrase, for he shall save. This is where it begins. He was sent. His mission on earth was very specific. Do not overlook the importance of this, this word. Uh, well, let me get there, but let me say this. His mission was very specific. Yes, he came and did miracles. Yes, he spoke in parables. Yes, he loved those who were hurting and those who were weak and those who needed healing. And he healed the blind and he made the lame to walk again. But that is not why he came. That all, he did all that to point to the fact that he was the Messiah, to give them a sign of who he was. He had a specific mission. His mission on earth was specific, but don't overlook the importance of the word, for he, look at this word, shall, shall. I'm a chaplain in the military. I would not say I am an authority on writing policy but I have certainly spent my time reading it. And we live and we die in the military on policy. And one thing that I think in, the gov- in our government and in mil- the military that we have retained very well is the usage, differentiating the usage between the two words, will and shall. You say there's a difference Well, we don't speak much anymore. I don't tell my children, you shall clean your room. I tell them you will. But did you know when I use those two different ways, there there is actually a difference. And they become so convoluted in our our, uh, spoken English that we don't see it. But in policy writing, shall is still supposed to be, and even this is kind of getting away from it, but shall is supposed to be used as a means of obligation. So when you say, you shall do this to a commander in policy, you're telling them, you don't have a choice. You shall do this. 
the use of the word will is to signify personal volition. In other words, you will want to do this. And there's a lot of times in the military and the government, I don't care if you want to or not. You have an obligation to do this. And so the use of the word shall and will are important. And when you read the Bible and you see words like shall or shalt, thou shalt not murder, kill, it really doesn't matter if you want to kill the person or not. <laughs> You're not supposed to do it. You have an obligation. So there's a difference. So don't overlook that word. He shall say. Now, I want to be very careful. I don't want to go so far down the road that says, well, Jesus, he just came against his will, and uh, he didn't want to save us. He just felt obligated to save us. I don't want to go so far down that road, but I do want to point out that Jesus came with a specific mission and a specific purpose. He was sent by God to redeem man, and God, who cannot lie, kept his promise. He was bound to himself. He was obligated. And I don't mean that disrespectful or irreverently that he was just had an obligation. I do mean, though, that when he said he would do it, there was no changing him. And so when De De uh, Joseph hears here, where he, he hears the angel tell him, you shall, he says you're going to name him Jesus, and he shall there is an obligation to save his people from his, their sins. This was not just a collateral assignment, a nice thing to do while you're on earth. It was why Jesus came. And what was the specific purpose? We'll continue. His purpose was to save, for he shall save. Though the purpose was to save, there is an exclusivity in this verse. He came to specifically save, and that next part of the verse is very important. He came to save his people. His people. We quote this verse at the Christmas season all the time, but this is a hard verse. Because he did not come for the Gentile. Let me explain this. The reason Jesus came was very precise, to redeem his own. And that use of the word his people is very telling. It's not like you see in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, everybody. And he does. And I hopefully in the next couple seconds, minutes here, we'll be able to we'll, we'll tie that all together. But he came specifically, this word here, to his people is that word laos in Greek, which really means an ethnicity, a group of people. And if we were still confused of what he means by that, we see the adjective there, the, the, the pronoun of possession, his people. Describing who they were. The reason Jesus came was very precise. We can't reverse engineer this verse and look back on it and say, well, this is just, he came for a spiritual. Because he did not come uh, to save righteous people, because if they were righteous, they would be saved already. He came to save his people. We can't reverse engineer this. Jesus came to his people, and they rejected him. Can I just... Permit me to labor on this for a little bit. The Jewish people were priority. How do I know that? Because what Paul told the Romans in chapter 1 of verse 16 of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It wasn't just, hey, he's coming. First, you know, we'll get them, and, and then the, it was he came specifically to his people. And Matthew, who writes his entire gospel under the, 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 the idea, the concept of he is presenting Jesus as a king, is telling them, hey, he's here to save us. It was very exclusive. The Jews were priority, but the Jews were privileged. Again, Paul tells us in Romans... For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Look what he says about them. They're privileged. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory 
and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom are as concerning the flesh Christ came. Who Look what he says. Whose are the fathers? What are, what are the fathers? The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, his promises. They are the fathers and of whom are, as concerning the flesh Christ came. He came for them. Who is over all, God blessed forever. And then you know what Paul says? Amen. That's it. That's why he came. The Jews were priority. The Jews were privileged. The Jews were the purpose for his coming. Matthew 10, verses 2 through 7. Matthew, again, our writer that we're looking at in this verse says it like this. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican. That's Matthew here. James, the son of Alphaeus and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Then this is what Jesus says, or what Matthew says about Jesus. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew was telling us, Jesus told the twelve disciples, Your mission, your priority to the privileged people is with the purpose of preaching the kingdom of heaven to them. Why? Because the Messiah had come. But where does that leave us? Paul tells us exactly. And I love this verse. By Romans 10, he turns it and he says, But now there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What happened? Jesus came to save his people from their sin. What happened? It's sad, really. Because <laughs> Romans 11, Paul clears it up. He says, I, Paul, I say then, have they, the Jews, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. He came for his people. His people rejected him. If you went on through Romans chapter 11, you'd see a beautiful analogy of grafting in a branch into an olive tree. And Paul goes and he says, hey, there was, there's this, this, this pure and, and holy olive tree. And, and we've taken the branch out that rejected him. And we've grafted in a wild branch. And it becomes part of the tree. And Paul goes even on. He says, but don't worry. He says, if God can take a, a, a wild branch and graft it in, don't you think he can return that one that rejected him? The Gentiles are grafted in branches of an olive tree. There is still an exclusivity to this verse. He did not just come to the world to just save everyone without their involvement, against their will. Against, he didn't just come and say, hey, by nature of you being a human, you're saved. You still have to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. You still have to believe you have to become one of his people. Only those who call upon the name will be saved. This is hard for many because it requires a faith and confidence in someone other than themselves. So Jesus certainly came with uh, Jesus certainly came with a purpose, and that purpose was to save his people, of which we are now so graciously, we, I say, as in the Gentiles, are so graciously apart. But what was there to be saved from? For he shall save his people from their sin. 
Jesus came to save his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. Matthew Henry says, this implies that there is a difference in this Jesus and his mission to the world. For he hath made him, in 1 Corinthians 5, he, God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Matthew chapter 18 says this, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. John three seventeen. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There is sin that requires salvation. I think we see a reference here to his holiness. He cannot come save us from our sins if he was a sinner like us. But to see this in more detail, let's move from the mission, he shall save his people from their sin, and now let's look at the name. The name Jesus. Verse 21, we go back to that in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus was told by the angel, thou shalt call his name Jesus. So we're going to do a little bit of, I hope we don't get bogged down in this. I'm, I'm a little timid about this one. But this is I found interesting. And I was telling someone the past week that when I find things interesting, um, not everybody else does. But uh, we're going to try, okay? And so this word, we're going to look at the word Jesus, and we are going to break it down part by part. Notice first that the very name consists of two parts. Did you know that the name Jesus is actually derived in Greek from a Hebrew name? And sometimes we just look at Jesus and we forget that it has Hebrew roots. And this would make sense because Jesus was Hebrew. In fact, I would go so far as to say is I don't think Mary called Jesus Jesus. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, she may have spoken eloquent Greek. But we look at the name Jesus, it actually has morphed over time into what we see as Jesus, even in the Middle Ages. Now, I don't think it's wrong. In fact, there are many out there who are saying, oh, we should, we should reject the Greek name. We should not use it. We should return to Hebrew roots and... And I don't think that's important. I, I think we can use the name Jesus. I believe Jesus can hear me pray in English, and he can hear the anglicized name Jesus and know exactly who I'm talking. He's not inhibited by that. And so I don't want to get bogged down and say, oh, we need it. But I, just, I think it's important to look at that name and where it comes and what is it, because it tells us what it means. So it is a Hebrew compound word. The first word in that name is Jah. Jah. Now you say, I, I don't see that. I just see the letter J. <laughs> and it's the next one is J-E. But the name is Jah. It's an abbreviation of the word Jehovah, the divine name. How do I know that's the divine name? Well, we're going to look at that. But the name Jah only occurs, actually, the abbreviation only occurs one time in our King James Bible. And it's in Psalm 68, verse 4. If you want to see it, uh, it's one of those few things that you may have read. Um, and uh, if you're reading Psalm 68 uh, in the past week and uh, you're going through your Bible reading, you're woefully behind, but stay with it, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and you'll get through. But uh, Psalm 68, uh, it says in verse 4, look what it says. That's not right. No, I'm in I'm 64. I got to go to 68. Okay, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. And if we really wanted to pronounce it right, we would say, Yah. And if we really wanted to hone in our inner Hebrew, we would say, Yah. Right? So, the re and, and so we see this name. That is an abbreviation. Why is it an abbreviation? We, before I go on, we'll talk about that. We see it other places. In fact, the word hallelujah is hallel, hallel from the Greek to praise Yah, God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yah is an abbreviation of the divine name. Okay, how do they get this abbreviation? It's fascinating, really. 
Yah comes from the word which we would pronounce in English Yahweh. Okay, now I've done this. This is the divine name. It's also called, ready for a great word that you can impress your friends with? It's the tetragrammaton. You say, what is that? Tetra, four letters. In Hebrew, they would write the divine name. Now look, it's backwards. And you probably say, why is that? Why is it backwards? Well, because they read from right to left. And so, Yah or Yod is the, the letter, and then HWH is this is the, the transliterated word in English. It is Yahweh. And you say, okay, so this is four letters. Why do they only do four letters? Because they took very seriously the command in Exodus 20 Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And so Yahweh was just, they just put four letters to represent it, and they wouldn't even speak it. In fact, they would often replace the word Yahweh, every time they saw it, with the Hebrew word Adonai, which simply means sir. They felt that was very basic, and they could come to that with great respect, but they would not say it. So let me turn the word around for you so you can see Yahweh. There it is, Yahweh. It, I didn't turn the Hebrew around, okay? It's still right, going from right to left, but now we're reading left to right in English on the bottom there. So Yahweh, and we see Yahweh, another thing they had in, in, in uh, Hebrew is they did not use vowels. Vowels are a fairly new thing in Hebrew, uh, and uh, they had little dots and things, and you could see things. It's, it's fascinating when, uh, when Jesus said, my words shall not pass away, not, neither no jot nor tittle. He's talking about parts of the Hebrew words and language that they would write where you can just mess up one little dot or a tittle, which I could explain what those were, but you'd be bored. Uh, but he says none of that would pass away. It's going to be precise. But here we don't have vowels, so let's put the vowels in and see what this does for us. Yehovah. We're getting a little closer. Yahweh, and we, if we were to put it together, we put it together and it becomes Yehovah, or in our English, we have the word Jehovah. You say, I see Jehovah, but Yah? Where do we get Yah? It was an abbreviation. Take out the middle, and you have Yah. This is an abbreviation of the divine name. They wanted to bring it down to just, so they, they weren't being irreverent, but they could still know precisely who they were speaking of. So we see this Yah, but then we combine it with another word, Oshua. Oshua. That Oshua is, it means salvation. In fact, you'll see it in our Bible. We see Hosea is another derivative of it, Hosea. Or even the way we use Hosea, comes to us in English, or actually through Spanish, Jose. Another derivative, the Lord is salvation. Now you might say, I don't see Jehoshua, I just see the name Jesus. How do you get to Jehoshua, Yah, Ashua, Jehoshua? How does that make Jesus? Well, you'd be right, but Jesus, again, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. And we have that, that's not uncommon for us, right? So we have names like Charlemagne, which was Charles the Great. And uh, it comes down to us in other languages, Carlos, or Charles, or Carolina, which is the Latin uh, for, for, Char for Carl, or even Carlos in Latin. And, and, and I thought, well, maybe there's a connection between the name Charles, Carlos, and Carol, and uh, let's see if there's connection in Christmas carols, and what does that have to do with Charlemagne, Charlemagne and Charles the Great? And I looked, and I found that it has nothing to do with each other. Charles comes from the German, and Carol, as singing, comes from the Greek, of chorus and, and, and groups. And so I told Carolyn, my daughter, this morning, we have a conundrum. I'm not sure if you're named Chuck or if you are named for beautiful songs. The jury's out. We don't know. But we talked about that. She opts for her name is in the Greek, and so she talks about singing. But we could call her Chuck from now on, so we'll see. But, uh, but th there is that word, 
we have this common, it's, and so we see this. But the letter J, did you know in, if we look at the word Jesus, the letter J is only about 500 years old. It's a relative, relatively new letter to our alphabet. alphabet. It's represented in ancient Greek by the letter I, or what we call, or in Greek, if you ever heard the word, Yoda. Yoda. And it has that yes sound as, as in its pronunciation. The letter J sound does come from the Germanic language. That's why that, that guttural word J, Germanic, uh, it's even in the word German, it comes from the German language. And it infiltrated English, and now we have this idea of J or that sound. But you know what else in the name Jesus or in Yahushua? There was no SH sound in Greek. There wasn't Hebrew. It had a specific letter for that that made that sound. And so the Greeks didn't have any equivalent, so they take the SH sound and just replace it with the sigma, the S letter. And so now you've got this, this is what language does over time. It morphs and it, and it changes and, and we speak differently and sounds come and sounds go. And so now we have the name Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can look at it and we can lose the fact that it is ripe with meaning as we, as we break it down. So we're going to go back and look at that name, Yahashua, Joshua. This is the first time we see the name in the Old Testament for a man named Joshua is when Moses changed Ashua to Jahashua. And he became Joshua. He added, Moses added that divine name to the front of Ashua or Joshua's name before it became Joshua. He added, he added that divine name to it. Joshua was the first of two famous Joshuas prior to Jesus. We see Joshua who led the battle of Jericho in the Old Testament, but we also see the second Joshua of renown was a high priest, Joshua, who with Zerubbabel helped rebuild the temple after the Babylonian captivity. As we consider the two parts that make up this name, we are enlightened by the definitions of the components that make up the name. Jesus. First, it's Yah. The divine name, which we will now, from this point on, not say Yah, we will say the Lord. Because that is the name, the Lord. And Ashua, salvation. The name, literally, Jesus means, the Lord will save. We see this name, Lord, a name within a name. Consider that name, Yah, like I said, I'll say the Lord from here on. It is a precise name. It speaks to his sovereignty, signifying his capability. Lord can be used in the scriptures to mean sir, but not here. We see that Yahweh, I, I mentioned, can be used as Adonai, and in the Greek, the word kurios, or the word Lord. And here you'll see Jesus often referred to as Lord, but he's not just a sir, a gentleman, someone of respect. This word Lord signifies sovereignty. The nation of Israel knew exactly the implications of putting the divine name into his name, Jesus or Jehoshua. They knew what it meant. They meant it meant power, sovereignty, creator, a sustainer. They meant that the Lord is the author of all things. If the Lord is the creator and the sustainer of all things, then we must consider this in light of his name. By his very name, we see that he is capable of all power. So when we combine that with the remainder of his name, salvation, we find that he is the Lord of salvation. Because he is salvation. If Lord implies Jesus can save, he's capable, the word salvation implies Jesus will save. He wants to. Now let's, let's look closer at the word salvation in the name. The word salvation is a word that we throw around in our Christian speak a lot. And we did allude to this in importance moments ago when we spoke of the mission of Christ. He came to save his people from their sin. But often we throw that name, that word around, salvation. When we say someone must be saved, or Jesus came to save the world, or through him we have salvation, what do we mean by that? First, I, well, I think there's two implications. First, I think it implies 
that we are ineffective in saving ourselves. We're ineffective in saving ourselves. Secondly, I think it implies that we are in some sort of peril that would require us to be saved. So we're in peril, and we can't do it ourselves. Isn't my, my boys, they're kind of enamored right now with superheroes. And, 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 and they, they think of superheroes, and they want to dress up as superheroes, and, and they'll say, Dad, you know, dress up like a superhero with us. And I'll be like, I am dressed. They're like, no, you're not. I'm like, son, I am a superhero. This is my costume. This is what I wear. Anything I wear is a superhero outfit. And they don't buy it. But the idea of a superhero to them is someone who can come in and rescue. And if you see the, the you know, name whoever they are, Superman, Batman, the Avengers, whatever they are, whoever they are, they are coming to save something. Because... As, is, as through the, uh, uh, the idea of the comic books and the movies, is that there's a people who can't do it themselves. They need these superheroes. And again, as Pastor mentioned Wednesday night, not trying to be irreverent, but the idea of Jesus coming is the idea, the same equivalent of a superhero. It is that we could not do it ourselves. We can't. And we are in peril. And we're, we're going to, if, if left to ourselves, we will suffer. So to the first implication that we are in some sort of peril, we are definitely in peril of sin and must be saved from its, both its power and its penalty. And to the second implication, if we, could not, if we could save ourselves, there would be no need for a Savior because we would be our own Saviors. So let's consider what the Bible says about salvation, perhaps that will help us to recognize our need for it. We cannot just gloss over this idea of salvation. It is not merely a comforting concept, as in this world is bad and we will be saved from it. No, we are saved from a very specific thing, our sins. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, he didn't say, you'll call his name Jesus. He's the Lord of your salvation. He's going to come and he's going to save you from yourself. The Jews, they really wanted him to say, he's Jesus, he's going to come and save you from the Roman persecution. Even in the way we look at things, we look at our Christmas and say, hey, salvation, he has come to save us. But if you talk to the secular world, their idea of salvation is really just to kind of get us out of the quagmire we're in. Get us on the, back on a political track. Maybe help humanity treat each other nicely and to them, that's the end. But he didn't come to do those things. He came to save his people from their sin. The world wants to address all of the symptoms. Jesus came to get to the root of the problem. So in this verse, we see both the mission and the name of Jesus. Do you know him by name? More importantly, does he know you? Names are important, Lord willing. Another time, we'll talk about other names of our Savior. But this morning, we look at the name Jesus. The Lord is salvation. He came with the specific purpose of saving us from our sins. And after Jesus had lived, and then he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again, and then he ascended back into heaven, Peter is preaching. And, in, and he's filled with the Holy Ghost. And he says to them in Jerusalem, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, they had just done a, they just healed someone, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of 
Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This, and he goes back, Paul, Peter's going to talk about who this Jesus was. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There's just something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. The Lord is salvation. In the cacophony of the Christmas season, there's so much going on. There's so many sights. There's so many sounds. But from this point on, if you hear the name Jesus... It's not just a decorative name on a Christmas card. It's not just a random name that they decided to name the child. It had a design to it. He was the Lord of salvation. And Matthew repeats it. And Matthew says, Thou shalt call his name the Lord of salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. He's going to come do. He came and did to do what his name said he was going to come do. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that we have been reminded about the name Jesus. It's a simple name in that it is simply just five letters. It's not hard to remember. It's not hard to recognize. But, Father, I pray that if we've gotten to the point where the name comes and goes and it's lost its sweetness, it's lost its power, it's lost its meaning to us. And not just in an abstract, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven. It has a powerful meaning that causes us, who claim the name of Jesus, who claim the name of Christ as our Lord and Savior, it should already cause us to bow the knee. Father, if we're looking for one day to hear the name Jesus where we'll bow, I question then what it means to us now. And if we have to question what it means to us now, then maybe we don't understand. So, Father, I pray that when we hear the name Jesus, we'll use it reverently, but, Father, we'll also take great joy and satisfaction that salvation has come to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.